Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Ibis Partners. I'm your host, Steve Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today's show, we're talking about the sell one to buy two strategy. This is one of the strategies you could use to grow your property portfolio faster if you already have a property or two. Now, this is something we discussed on one of our most recent Property Live webinars. And Andrew, talk to us, for anybody who didn't come to that webinar, what is the sell one to buy two strategy? So this is all about figuring out if you've got inefficient assets in your investment portfolio. And I do a lot of reviews with everyday Kiwi property investors. And I look at their portfolio and it's really interesting because a surprisingly high number of people have an unusual investment, especially if their portfolio is large. And it's stopping them from moving ahead. It's stopping them from growing, either because it's actually costing them a lot of money or because the bank has some criteria around it. And one strategy I often talk about with people is you need to sometimes take a step back so you can take two forward. Because if something is holding you back, if there's a property in there that's a lemon, you can often sell that to buy two more. That probably comes as a bit of a surprise because they're probably thinking, Andrew, I came to you so I can grow (laughs) my portfolio, but you want me to make it smaller? So let me ask you this. What sort of properties are we talking about? What are the lemons? Which are the ones that are holding property investors back? So one of the big ones that I'm seeing a lot of at the moment is beer land. Again, a surprising number of investors have gone and bought a piece of land and then they've thought, I'm going to build on that myself or I'm going to build an investment property. Hotel rooms are another big one. Small apartments, so anything less than 50 square meters. Studio apartments. Or, and again, thinking of a couple of my Wellington investors, people with really old houses with huge maintenance bills. And so they might have a bit of a mortgage on it. So they're paying out lots of mortgage interest. Then they're paying out lots of tax because there's no deductibility. And then they're paying a whole lot of maintenance. And it's just a cash flow drain. So I don't get it though. What is it about these properties? that could potentially hold property investors back. So it comes to one of two things, either the equity is holding you back or the cash flow is holding you back. Now, from the equity side, banks won't lend as much money against certain types of properties. So properties that are a bit more uncommon for most people. So things like hotel rooms or things like small apartments. And because there is a more limited resale market, the bank has an internal LVR for it. So The Reserve Bank might say, okay, well, you need a 40% deposit when you're buying an investment property or 20% for new builds, but you need to have a 50% deposit if it's something like beer land or a small apartment or a hotel room. And again, that's because there's less people that are attracted to these types of assets. Yeah, and so these properties can suck up equity or usable equity that you've got within your own home, your owner-occupier home. And the difficulty is that if they're sucking up more equity, that could potentially stop you from that equity perspective growing even further. And again, in this instance, it's not the Reserve Bank saying, oh, you've got to have a 50% deposit or you've got to have 50% equity within there. This is the bank's own internal LVR restrictions that they might have. So that's the equity side. But you also mentioned cash flow before. So how could some of these properties limits you from a cash flow perspective when you're trying to grow your property portfolio? So I think one of the biggest things is sometimes people will have either turned their own home into a rental property or in one case, an investor that I'm working with, he inherited a property. And again, it's an old property in Wellington. The value is quite high, but the yield is really, really low. 
in that case, there's no debt on it. But for for people that have moved out of their house and turned it into a rental property, it's low yielding. Well, then the cash flow's either negative now or it might be negative in the future. And that means that the investor needs to be in the bank size topping it up, whether that's true or, or based on the test rates. And it means the investor can't afford to buy more properties. Do you have an example of maybe an investor where that would be the case? Where from the cash flow perspective, they're selling a property and able to buy two more? Yep. Thinking of some investors in Wellington at the moment, we're actually working through the process of selling down a portfolio and transitioning it into more appropriate investments to get them through to the next stage of their life. But the first part about that is getting rid of this one property, which is so maintenance heavy. Last year, it cost $27,000 just to deal with some of the deferred maintenance. That's probably their entire rent. They're completely cash flow negative on that one, and it doesn't have a mortgage. Okay, so being cash flow negative is not necessarily a bad thing, but being cash flow negative when you've got no mortgage, <laughs> that certainly is. So that's the cash flow side. What about on the equity side? There was a really good one we talked about at the webinar. Yeah, so we spoke about an example of an investor that has some land and has been sitting on that land, holding back their ability from an equity perspective to buy more investment properties. So the example we gave was that the land value was 500000 and there was a mortgage of two hundred and fifty k on it. Now, you might be thinking, hey, the great news here I've got 250k with the equity. I can use that to buy more rental properties. Well, absolutely not. Now remember, land has a max borrowing of 50% generally speaking. Now that means that there is absolutely no equity available in that property. Yeah, so you might think, "Oh my gosh, my mortgage is so low compared to the value of this thing." All good. I'm going to borrow against this so that I can go and buy another property not going to be the case. And the issue is that if the mortgage was any larger than that, it would potentially be taking equity away from the own home, which could be used to purchase investment properties. So let's say how you might get two properties from this. So I can't borrow any more against the land, but how do I get my two properties then? Okay, so say that land was worth 500000 and you sell it and you have to pay some real estate fees. We'll just use 5%, $25,000. That means that you're left with $225,000 after you've sold that and paid off the mortgage. Now, I am making the assumption here that there's no bright line tax on that. So $225,000 in the bank, if you've got unlimited income, so we assume that you've actually got the ability to borrow whatever the bank will lend you so long as you got the deposit, that's enough equity to buy $1.13 million of new build properties. So you could buy a 500k property and a 580k property. So We've gone from half a million dollars worth of assets to $1.1 million worth of assets. So 2.2 times the number of assets that you had because you invested in something that the bank's more willing to lend against. Now, I think property investment really is all about leverage. It's about using other people's money to invest. And sometimes you can change what you invest in and you're then able to get more of other people's money. And it all comes down to the LVR restrictions and how much a bank is willing to lend to you. Now, to be clear, even if it was a 500k piece of land with a 500k mortgage, you might end up doing the same thing. And you might think, Ed, that's a stupid thing to say because if I sell a 500k piece of land, pay my real estate agent, I'm going to be down. I'm now in negative equity. But the reason I say you might end up doing the same thing is 
that mortgage would have likely been secured against your own home. And it's about releasing the equity that that property currently takes up so you're able to invest it somewhere else. It's not just necessarily the case because the property that Andrew talked about had a lower mortgage. It's also about, well, where is that equity currently coming from? And I think one of the other things in this example, you're servicing a 250k mortgage on a piece of land that you've got no income coming on from. If you redeploy that and you've got $1.1 million worth of rental properties, well, you've got two rental incomes coming in now. It's highly likely that your top up on those two rental properties would be less than what the land repayments are. Yeah, I'm not sure about that because if you've got a 250k mortgage, even at a 6% interest rate, your interest payments would only be about 15 grand. Add on some rates, you're probably looking at about $350 a week. And that's probably the top up at the moment on one rental property. Yeah, I know. But if you look at what it averaged out to be, I think that'd be out, right? Well, if you looked at it over a 15-year period, probably. But if you're just looking at what's it going to be today, you would be topping up those properties by more because you've got that higher level of assets. Now, let me ask you this, though. Who can use the sell one to buy two strategy? Because it's not going to work for everyone. No, no. If you've got a really good investment portfolio, it might not work for you. You might just have to get a higher income or something like that. But if you're an investor that's got some inefficient assets, so things like bare land, things like hotel rooms, pokey apartments where the banks are either restricting the amount of LVR because of the size or because of their saturation level sometimes, then that might be the case. Saturation levels when a bank says, okay, we're BNZ and we've got 20% market share, but we've actually got 30% in this development. So therefore, we're going to give you a lower LVR or we're not going to lend on you at all. Studio apartments, or again, those old houses where there's a lot of maintenance and it actually is costing you a lot of money. And if you are an existing investor and you've been investing for the last 20 years, you probably have picked up something like this or, or you've turned your own house into a rental property and now it actually just doesn't fit. Okay, that's who possibly can. Who should use the sell one to buy two strategy? So if you're running the race and you're needing to build your wealth still, this could be useful for you. Now, if you're crossing the finish line and you're trying to actually live off the cash flow and turn your properties into yield-based properties, well, then you might actually want to keep some of these properties. So studio apartments or hotel rooms, they could be really good cash flow. And that might be why you have them in your portfolio. In that case, you might not need to switch them out. And that's why it's really important to figure out, well, what stage of your wealth creation are you? What stage of the race are you? So that you know whether or not these things are appropriate or if you need to start to change them out. I think one of the mistakes people make is that they're investing because they want capital growth, but then they have properties in their portfolio that aren't appropriate for that specific goal. And that's really what we're talking about. And one thing that I always wonder when we have this conversation though, Andrew, is, why is it that so many Kiwis have picked up these odd properties like this? Why, why do they have hotel rooms and beer land and small apartments? How did they pick them all up? Uh, sometimes it's because someone told them it was a good idea or, or they went along to an investment seminar. Uh, years ago, they used to have investment seminars for these hotel rooms and they were really popular or properties on the Gold Coast. That was a big popular one back in the day as well. Often when I see those they're people that have gone trapped into them a long, long time ago. Or the land one's really interesting at the moment. I think that when the market was running red hot a couple of years ago, people did start thinking about buying land or 
thinking about upgrading their house and buying a bit of land. I've got some friends at the moment that have got a big piece of land that now we're talking about how we get out of that without losing money. And just final question, what are some of the mistakes that people make when it comes to the sell one to buy two strategy? I think the immediate thing is thinking that everyone needs to do this. Now, I have people that I do reviews with and then I look at their, their portfolio and say, you know what, selling one to buy two right now, that's not for you. You've got enough assets to get you where you need to go. Just sit on these assets. They're working just fine at the moment. They're inefficient if you're wanting to build your portfolio, but you're not wanting to build your portfolio, so just stay the course. And I tell you what, one of the main concerns that property investors have, or one of the main things I see people talking about, is how do you go about growing a portfolio over time? So if you've recently had that conversation with a friend or you know someone who wants to grow their portfolio, it might be a good idea to share this episode with them so they get some of those ideas. And that is one of the main things you can do to help grow this property investment community that we're building and help grow the show. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 